0: Public health is a population-based field of science focused on preventing disease and promoting health. Every week, we will be engaging in interactive discussions and analyses of the latest public health issues affecting you and your communities all around the world. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast.
1: My name is Gordon, and I'm joined by Ben, Sully, Lashawn, and a special guest who will be introduced later.
0: Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with.
1: Institutional racism has permeated social, political, and economic institutions in North America for centuries. Criminal justice system and law enforcement are just a few examples that have been spotlighted recently. However, it is important to recognize that racism also exists in systems like education and healthcare. Institutional racism has contributed to the observed health disparities in racial and ethnic minorities in communities across the world. An article titled Cultural Competence in Healthcare, Is It Important for People with Chronic Conditions by Georgetown University's Health Policy Institute raises the issue that the burden of chronic disease is disproportionately distributed to racial and ethnic minorities in the United States. They also make the argument that there is a need to integrate cultural competence in healthcare practice to appropriately address the health needs of a population that's growing even more diverse. To help spark this informative conversation, we've invited a special guest. She's an experienced public health researcher working at the intersection of health equity and individual health empowerment. She uses her unique background in social work and health research to emphasize the importance of culturally appropriate health strategies and message dissemination. She has worked as a contractor in public health, supporting several public health-focused federal and state agencies. She is the founder of Focus Health Collective, an LLC where she works with organizations to enhance their research and communication strategies. In her free time, she enjoys spending time with family and friends, Exploring new restaurants in the District of Columbia, she was also part of her two-part State of the Union roundtable series on racism, the Black experience, and the perpetual fight for equality. Please welcome back our colleague Rose Marcellin.
2: Woo! Welcome
3: Hi. back, Rose. Welcome back, Rubs. I feel back. like I she need, need a
2: clap. <laughs>
1: oh, they—they're gonna be clapping. All right, they're gonna be clapping. So, yeah, so once again, thanks for um, all those contributions you made to our last two um, podcast episodes. I hope everyone who's listening now will go back and check those out. So, thank you again.
2: Thank you so much for having me back, guys. Appreciate it.
1: All right. So, in episode 13, uh, we touched on the distinctions between healthcare systems, public health systems, and the all encompassing health system. So, for this discussion, we'll be focusing more on the healthcare system per se. But before we talk about, you know, cultural competence in healthcare, let's briefly highlight some of the similarities of the healthcare systems that exist in Canada and the United States. So what can you, and there's four of us, on here from Canada and one from the United States. So, what 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 kind of things are important for people to know about the different healthcare systems?
2: Um, just thinking offhand, I know Canada has kind of a universal healthcare system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so we definitely don't have that here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have private payer systems um, and then public systems as well, um, and then state funded. government funded systems here Um, so your private payers and is usually when you have some kind of private health insurance Um, and then we have state funded and government funded systems like Medicare Medicaid that uh, you can qualify for depending on uh, certain statuses like your income or age Mm -hmm. Um, but I know you guys do it a little bit different right
1: right I'll just add so what from what I understand, Rose, the um, other than Medicare and Medicaid, anyone that falls outside of that must purchase private insurance through their employer or through whatever market there is for uh, uh, healthcare right.
2: coverage. Okay. Right. So essentially, you'll get it from, or you'll buy it into it from your 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 employer, or you can purchase individual uh, insurance or family insurance through a third party. Um, which is the direct source itself. Um, a lot of hospitals and healthcare systems um, sometimes offer a sliding paying scale if you don't have either private insurance or Medicaid, Medicare, um, and that's kind of based on your income. So if you're low income or whatever your jurisdiction considers to be low income, you can. Essentially, pay a lower fee for service, mm. um, but that's usually the main buckets. And then within even the private payer, um, there's a lot of you know different options, pay plans, HMOs, PPOs. Um, it really gets into the nitty gritty. And even I in public he- public health have to always read the little manual when <laughs> when it's time to sign up for health insurance that works and make sure I'm getting or trying to understand. You know, what is going to work best for me, considering right. I'm a single person, as opposed to, you know, a colleague who might have a family and somebody might have a chronic health condition. They see the doctor more often. So there's so many options, honestly, a, um, to choose from.
1: It's interesting. Sounds like you have to be. So in order to get the right private plan, you kind of have to be aware of what your health risks and stuff are in order to make the best decisions right
2: yeah absolutely and I think that's um, definitely um, what you said is important I think um, having a public health background certainly helps because I understand the difference between uh, well the basic difference between the HMO and a PPO but sometimes Mm -hmm. you know you don't know and so you have to kind of understand what that means for you and knowing whether or not your plan comes with a deductible and what the deductible is how much it is that you're getting and what Mm -hmm. does that mean for you um, I know for me, for instance, when I first came out of school um, and I got a job, I bought into the you know, insurance plan and not really understanding what anything really meant. I just knew, oh my God, I have health insurance. Um, if something would happen to me, I'm good, right. Uh, right. which is not necessarily what it means. Right. Um, just going to like a regular doctor's visit before um, what people call Obamacare. Um, mm-hmm. Act in 2010 passed, you know, I still had to pay a copay for a uh, annual checkup visit. Now, essentially, you don't have to pay for that. It's covered under um, the, the act. But I didn't understand that. Oh, what is the copay? Oh, I actually have to pay to go see somebody. Or if right. you get a test, you still have to pay that out of pocket fee that goes into your deductible. So mm-hmm. it's a very complex. Um, system and even I who was relatively familiar with healthcare sometimes I get a bill in the mail and I'm like for what? <laughs> and then I have to go back and pull out the the handbook and say, Oh, okay, that wasn't covered in wow. this, you know, whole categories of things that are covered. It's the one thing that's not covered and then you get a bill for that. So I don't know if it's that complex for you guys.
1: No, definitely not. (laughs) I was just gonna say, just listening to you, just so overwhelming. Okay, my okay, is my big toe gonna be covered? Maybe my left right toe won't be. Like that's a lot to take. Sounds like fine print to me. Yeah,
0: it's it's
2: definitely fine print. It's definitely fine print. And, And even if it's even if it's not fine print, it's print that people assume you know. Um, Or it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is common sense, but it's really not. You think you buy health insurance, you're going to be covered. Mm. Um, But there's so many restrictions depending on what plan you have. Um, I have a plan under one of the big providers, Blue Cross Blue Shield, but the one I bought into specifically is really for the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm, well, I'm here in Florida, yeah, if something would have happened is- to me, I'll be covered. But then I'll technically be out of network. And there's a different fee associated with being out of mm-hmm. network, mm-hmm. even though I have insurance. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's, it's super complex here. Um, and that's the can of worms in and of itself.
1: Yeah, in Canada though, in just to simplify it, we have the Canada Health Act. Um, as you said, it's publicly funded, privately delivered, mm. and essentially most healthcare services that um, Canadians or anyone with a health card from their province um, they wouldn't be expected to pay anything at the point of healthcare delivery. In saying that though, there are a few things that aren't covered, and the Pharmacare? provinces well we'll, we'll oh. get to that we'll get to that <laughs> but there's a few things that aren't covered in terms of um um a medical procedures or certain lab tests um, Okay. so not not every single thing is covered but mm-hmm. if you are in need of of treatment of some kind and you do go to seek healthcare that in of itself will not be you can't you can't bill that to the patient and that's part of why um a lot of canadians are proud about the healthcare system but that doesn't that doesn't go to say our system is perfect either mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah
3: and even even if we consider canada as a geographic landmass, we see that a lot of the population is concentrated towards the bottom of the country, like the major cities like Toronto. Mm-hmm. And urban um, centers. Yeah, and urban yep. centers. But if you look up north, you see many rural communities, and they may not have, even though um, we have universal health care, the access to that is a different story. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. yeah. So
1: affordable, but sometimes not accessible.
2: Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. Mhm. Yeah, and it Affordable kind of so- is, key, is good though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right.
3: yeah,
1: it's good. It's good for sure. Yeah.
0: There's also like another nuance to the accessibility though because mm-hmm. the fact that that it's so available means that you're often in long lineups f- to even mm-hmm. get an appointment like for mm-hmm. when, for example, when you're looking at an MRI, you're looking at, at least 3 months. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Is, is that really
1: accessible? Right. So so it's one of the kind of double-edged sword of if you're trying to make a healthcare system that emphasizes equality then no matter what your status in life is you're going to wait the same time for diagnosis and treatment so what the system tries to do is discourage kind of two-tier medicine where the richer people can have better privatized healthcare, and then the resources get shifted there and then the people who aren't, aren't able to afford get lower quality health care so this is the price essentially that we pay not to say that it's not you know, it can't be better because there are some provinces like Saskatchewan who do have lower wait times than the Canadian average. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's room for improvement.
3: Yeah. It kind of uh, brings me back to what we were taught in our MPH program at a, at a very basic level, there's always going to be a trade off between accessibility price and quality when it comes to the healthcare. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So, uh, we're, you know, as we're, um, establishing
1: the context of the two healthcare systems, um, an important thing to, or an important metric of how a healthcare system performs is essentially the percentage of GDP that's spent on healthcare. So in Canada, about 10% of our GDP is spent on healthcare um, compared to the United States, which is 17%. And you might think, well, I think anyway, it looks a little counterintuitive because if healthcare in Canada is publicly funded, wouldn't you expect that the government would spend more mon- money as a percentage of gdp rather than a place where healthcare is more privatized
2: so i think at face value the numbers don't sound too far off mm. um however i know um here we do talk about that 17% as it being an extremely high number mm. um I think part of it is when we think about healthcare expenditures, um, so much of that is accounted for at later in life. Um, Mm. There's a lot of costs associated as you get older with medical care and so many different factors go into it. But if you think about just here in general, just how expensive healthcare is, Mm. um, it's a money making system. Um, there's mm-hmm. a fee associated with just about anything mm-hmm. um, when it comes to healthcare here. So from, you know, the 911 call, you pay for the ambulance to the hospital. If you have mm-hmm. to, you know, God forbid have to, they have to call a helicopter or something. That's mm-hmm. a, a humongous bill that's not necessarily covered by insurance. Um, and then when you get to the hospital, depending on what hospital you go to, you know, things are covered, things are not covered you pay for your you know, anesthesiologist bill, you get a surgery bill, you get the hospital bill, you get the admin bill. It's, it's compacted the way our system mm-hmm. is set up, that it is, uh, you know, if you have some kind of health emergency, it can cripple a family. Some families have to file for bankruptcy just to pay for the hospital bill. Um, right. And then you think about other things that are, you know, life-saving treatment for certain people that, you know, they can't afford you know, to pay for it or it's just so expensive, even with insurance, what families have to pay for certain things. So um, I know for us here, when we talk about the cost of, you know, healthcare, and now with there was this, you know, talk of Medi- Medicare for all, Medicaid mm-hmm. for all. Um, and the hopes that, you know, this will not just challenge us to think about health care, but to really transform um, the way healthcare is delivered here in the States, you know, to move towards more of a, you know, Canadian system, Canadian-like system when everyone mm. has, you know, free, accessible, free and accessible health care. Right. Um, however, to, to, to change that, you know, will require essentially um, starting from the bottom up because the system is not meant for that. It's built, you know, to be paid at every step along the way.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think even you mentioned it, Rose, um, a lot of people won't, may not be able to even afford the healthcare to begin with. But for me, um, that, 17 per, that 17%, that 17 I think, is especially highlighted when you take it into the global context, looking at OECD countries. And um, looking at the US, It's it, that 17% is amongst the highest in terms of uh, spending per person, right? And right. if we, for example, compare that to Canada, um, which actually spends less per person, we we in Canada... About half. we Yeah, about half. So in Canada, we actually see that the life expectancy is around four years higher than the U.S. And things like indicators such as maternal mortality rate is four times lower than the U.S. So I think when you take it into context globally, um, I think that's the reason why some people may focus on these numbers, like the
1: 17%. I was doing some reading, uh, Rose, and... And maybe you you you've seen this in your line of work or people that you know and apparently more than half a million people go into bankruptcy every year because of um health medical bills and healthcare bills.
2: Oh yeah. Um it's kind of it's astronomical. It's astronomical mm. what a medical bill will do for to some people. And to some people I think I'll put myself in that category. Uh, because while your insurance, you know, let's say you're out of pocket or your deductible is $2,500. So your insurance would kick in essentially after anything over $2,500. Mm-hmm. Um, but within that, there's all the fine print, um, like it might cover this, but not this, it might cover a percentage of this, but not a, that other remaining percentage. And, and that bill comes out to be thousands of dollars and for a lot of families a lot of people that out-of-pocket bill for if you think about like cancer treatment and how expensive that is um, you know families will file for bankruptcy um, because they just simply cannot afford to pay and actually the new york times has a podcast called the daily i'll try to remember the episode name, but it was a couple of weeks, uh, probably pre-COVID, I think it was. Mm -hmm. They do a series on um, medical bills and what that looks like for a person. And this this lady, she's, you know, a a working mom. And I think she had her daughter had to have some kind of... Uh, medical procedure, but they talk about how that has impacted her life and her inability to pay. She's on a payment plan with the hospital um, to the point that if you don't pay, you risk going to jail. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a whole thing. Like it's, it's, people don't think about what that bill, the real bill looks like because we you know, are not in those situations. But I always imagine if you get a bill in the mail from, for $17,000, wow. what, what are you going to do?
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah. if you
2: don't have $17,000 to, to mm-hmm. write a check um, and you know what I mean and then you now you're involved with you know they get the courts involved and they'll put a lien and it's, it's a whole process um, and it's, it's a very expensive process while we have you know insurance a lot of people here in the states are what we call underinsured, mm-hmm. um, where they might have mm-hmm. insurance but the kind of coverage they have is very limited very mm. limited so doesn't that it their needs exactly and if yeah. anything falls outside of the purview um you know you're stuck footing that bill where you think oh i have insurance it'll pay for it but in reality no 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 what you have doesn't cover this
1: so out-of-pocket spending per person in canada is about half of what it is in the united states so and that's what i was getting at earlier the u.s spends a higher percentage of their gdp on health care than canada but yet Canadians spend half of what they, the Americans spend out of pocket and then the life expectancy is higher and a bunch of different health outcomes are higher. You, and what this tells me, and I, I don't mean to ramble on, this tells me that there's uh, potentially more inefficiencies in the way the United States uses their money to fund healthcare, And it potentially tells exactly. me there's a lot of maybe unregulated or disparities in healthcare quality delivery. Um, that account for some of this variance as well. That's what that tells me.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think you hit it on the head when you talk about some of the discrepancies um, in healthcare care here in the States, um, even access. I think you guys alluded to it with um, some of the rural areas in Canada, but even in metropolitan areas, there's still access issues to health care. Um, and then there's issues that come with adhering and complying to Um, you know, doctors, you know, orders, essentially, you know, if you have a prescription and you have to go fill it, you know, there's issues with, you know, just cost of the prescription and and what that looks like for someone, or maybe if someone is trying to manage a chronic condition, it's not just simply, oh, let me go see my doctor, they, it's a lot for them to get to that appointment. Um, And then the adherence piece, you know, is a, can be a lot for one person to to manage. So I think what's not accounted for in those numbers are all the nuances and disparities, you know, that mm-hmm. underpin mm-hmm. Um, our healthcare system. But but there's so many social issues that I think you know drive drive those numbers. When you talk mm-hmm. about like maternal health, like there's so many issues behind that count too. Um, that may not be necessarily reflected by just looking at a, a percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, one more point, too, to add to that. And just thinking, I'm just, um, this has me thinking a lot. And I know you guys love when I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this also potentially tells me, because as you mentioned, Rose, Medicare is for seniors 65 mm-hmm. and older, correct? Okay. Correct. So that tells me, and given that the life expectancy is about four years lower, this potentially tells me a lot of money is being spent in the Medicare plan because those aging seniors potentially have more complex health needs than their counterparts in Canada. Maybe because the disparities are worse, or maybe there's other things in the social context that exacerbate things because you know, when we say percentage of GDP spending, what are we talking about? And we've established that, um, the government funds um Medicare, so maybe the dollars are going there because there's a lot of things upstream that weren't prevented.
0: Remember. Public health is a field of inquiry and an arena for action to improve lives, one population at a time. This has been the Public Health Insight Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please drop us a like and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your podcast platform of choice. You can also send us your questions, comments, and suggestions for discussion topics at thepublichealthinsight.gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.